0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyze the beat of the changing environment from biodiversity conservation to climate change. In this episode, we ask the question What does net zero 2050 mean for investors? We look more deeply at the challenges of complex portfolios held by big investment managers and greenwashing claims. ST's climate editor, David Fogarty, hosts his guest based in Paris, Ms. Clemence Houmo, Head of Sustainability, Coordination and Governance for AXA IM. This episode is brought to you by AXA Investment Managers, or in short, AXA IM. Hi Clemence,
1: welcome to Green Pulse.
2: Hello David. Thank you for having me.
1: So let's start off with what is net zero emissions and why is it so important, especially as the risks from climate change grow?
2: Net zero is actually when there will be no net additions of greenhouse gas in the atmosphere and the concentration will not be increasing anymore. It will then enable temperature to stop rising. So what does it mean in practice? It means that we need to dramatically reduce our use of emission-intensive industries. So, for instance, fossil fuels. We need to transform our industrial processes. And we also need to plug greenhouse gas leaks in infrastructures. So why do we say net zero and not zero? It means that there will still be, we know, some greenhouse gas emitted But those greenhouse gases will have to be offset by carbon sinks. So what is a carbon sink? It's primarily actually the use of natural solutions, such as, for instance, more forests, which will help to consume carbon. It can also be some technologies that will remove carbon from the atmosphere, such as, for instance, carbon capture. If we were to want to reach growth zero instead of net zero, it would mean that there would be no absolute emissions left from human activities that's pretty much impossible.
1: Great. And a lot of companies and governments have pledged to reach net zero emissions, but saying it and doing it are very different. Actually achieving it across a broad portfolio of assets is not easy. AXA IM says, for instance, that 65% of its assets under management are now committed to be managed in line with net zero in 2050. Can you explain exactly what this means?
2: So first of all, we were part of the first signatories of the Net Zero Asset Manager Initiative, so back in December 2020. And as part of this commitment, we decided that we would, over time, implement methodologies and approaches to ensure we would aim for Net Zero by by 2050. So we are on that path. uh, And in that perspective, you're very right, we have now implemented Net Zero methodologies on 65% of the assets we manage now. So what does it mean concretely? It means that There are net zero methodologies available for 65% of the assets managed by XIM, meaning the entirety of our corporate investments. For the rest, the 35% which are not yet on board of this commitment, there are not, I would say, mature enough methodologies in the market for the 65% on which we have committed already. So there are methodologies, and on the basis of those methodologies, we have been able to set intermediary targets. So very concretely, we intend to reduce the carbon intensity of our corporate investment by 25% compared to 2019 by 2025. So we still have three years to do so. And in addition to reducing the carbon intensity, we have set ourselves again on those corporate investments, some objective when it comes to shareholder engagement, so engaging with those corporates and those companies which are high emitters in terms of carbon and climate. We feel engagement is necessary to push and accompany corporates in their transition journey, as well as targets when it comes to the selection of companies to progressively, I would say, move away from those companies which will not be mature enough and which will not be moving fast enough around climate.
1: Great. And just to go deep a little deeper into this, The process of setting emissions reduction targets for specific sectors is actually quite challenging. For instance, it depends on good data about companies, such as their emissions, any green transition plans they have, how detailed they are, and, of course, government policies. So, could you explain more about the process of designing a net zero pathway?
2: Sure. So, net zero pathways are defined based on scientific information with the objective of looking at ways to achieve certain trajectories or certain scenarios in terms of emission reduction or temperature rise. So the most common science-based scenario include the ones relying on the IPCC, so the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IEA, the International Energy Agency, data. So those are the, the scenarios and, and the pathways we are using at this stage to set our net zero targets. We know those scenarios will probably have to evolve over time because, as you stated, they rely on, on lots of forecasts, projections. Indeed, I would say many scenarios at the moment suffer from what we consider to be unrealistic short-term policy ambition. So here, for us, what's absolutely essential is to have clear intermediary targets. It's not, of course, just to say we want to be net zero by, by 2050 but it's also having clear short-term targets. So I, I mentioned earlier the minus 25% objective in terms of reduction of carbon t- intensity compared to 2019. I would say overall, what we all know is that the intensity of change requires is immense. If we want to reach net zero by, uh, by 2050, in terms of shift of energy sources, in terms of mobility, in terms of industrial processes, it's huge. So scenario planning is a forecast exercise. It is not perfect. We nevertheless need to rely on it, but also to be transparent on the fact that there will be adjustment needed over time. Find us on Apple, Spotify,
0: Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now, back to David Fogarty's conversation with Clemence Humour. Head of Sustainability Coordination and Governance for AXA-IM. They discuss what net zero 2050 means for
1: investors. This episode is brought to you by AXA-IM. Now, let's talk about reputational risk for investors that do not have clear net zero pathways. Do they risk being boycotted by the finance sector or face downgrades by rating agencies, for example?
2: I think definitely the financial sector is in a very interesting place, as always. Indeed, it is systemic. So it is very much at the center of a whole ecosystem which has to shift. And in that sense, being systemic, it has a key role to play. First of all, by channeling flows into solutions, so into new technologies. It has a role to play to help fund the decarbonization. And and here we know, and it was also one of the key messages from the COP27, we need hundreds of trillions of dollars to effectively fund decarbonization. And finally, the financial sector has a role to play to steer investing companies and steer corporates through shareholder engagement. So that's why we definitely need the whole ecosystem, the whole economy to shift, to progress and to decarbonize, to be able ourselves as well to achieve our net zero targets. So that's why, again, we need, as a financial sector, we need clear, precise intermediary targets, so in the short term, as well as clear action plans to reach those intermediary targets. So it's about selecting, again, the companies where we feel the transition strategies are the right one, they are robust, and we see proofs from the companies that they're actually progressing and will reach their net zero targets. We need real economy policies to be there and to support and and incentivize companies, corporates in their decarbonization. We have a duty to be transparent on the limits of our targets, or maybe limits is not the right word, but on the fact that we are part of this whole ecosystem and we need the whole ecosystem to shift together.
1: Now, of course, another key element of all of this is making sure that whatever transition plans the companies make are genuine. And of course, there's still greenwashing claims by some companies, perhaps some energy companies, for example, or even banks that saying that they're committed to net zero emissions. But they're still investing in polluting companies or assets. So could you tell us more about this and the risks associated with such claims?
2: So first of all, I think what we have to say is that the momentum around climate change and transition is is growing, definitely accelerating more and more every year. So obviously, this is leading to more and more communication from corporates, from from actors in in the financial sector, and a more intense scrutiny from regulators and from civil society as a whole, including NGOs as well. So in my view, it's definitely positive because it incentivizes everyone to be clear, to be again precise and accurate in our disclosures and careful and cautious in our commitments. Now, I think we we need to keep in mind that net zero investing, it's not just about investing in companies which are already green, companies which provide solutions. It's also about investing in those companies which are still emitting and which have to transition and decarbonize their activities. Again, we know that there is a massive need of funding to help those corporates and and those sectors decarbonize. And this is also our role as investors to be there to, uh, to accompany them. So here, in our view, it requires two things. First of all, just to give an example, coal. We know we need to move away from coal. Coal is too intensive in terms of, of carbon emission. And actually, we have set ourselves some goals and some targets very clearly since 27 with uh, an exclusion of, of a large part of the, of the coal sector. So we need to move away from those corporates using targeted exclusion. This will protect portfolios from the risk of stranded assets. And it will also enable us as an investor to channel flows and efforts in terms of shareholder engagement into the areas which have the potential to transition. So secondly, beyond those red lines, our role is also to engage with corporates. So again, fund and identify those companies which have a potential, which have an ambition, and which have set themselves clear intermediary targets, clear transition plan, and are willing to, to decarbonize. So with them... What we do is that we engage, so we have regular discussion with with management to challenge them and and to encourage them to be even more ambitious in target setting and also to ensure that they progress in line with their plan. So we really believe it's our role as an investor to be there, to have those clear headlines. And for us, you you talked about greenwashing. And just to give an example of of what we are doing at AXA-IM on this, So we have put in place a a new policy when it comes to shareholder engagement, which we call three strikes and you're out. So it's really focused on companies which are climate laggards. Those are companies which either do not have net zero goals or have long-term net zero goals but do not have intermediary targets. So for those companies, what we are doing is that we have defined uh, very precise objectives for engagement, looking at the specificities of the companies, looking at the sectors in which they operate, looking at the geographies in which they operate and and the current state of of regulation in, in those geographies. So very clear objectives communicated to management of those companies. And we have told them very clearly that we need to see them achieve those objectives. And if they don't, we will move away. So we will be ready to divest after three years. We are giving them this window of time. During the three years, we regularly exchange with them. We will, if need be, escalate, for instance, by voting against some resolution or co-filing some resolution during the annual general meeting. And again, very much, we hope to see them reach the objective because that's what we need again for the whole ecosystem to shift.
1: And just as a final question, How successful have you found the three strikes and you're out rule? Has that led to a change in some companies that they realize that they have to transition, that there's no chance for greenwashing, and particularly since regulators are also stepping up, demanding more stringent climate reporting regulations as well?
2: So it's a bit early to to say because it's a policy we have implemented in in 2022. So the discussion with those companies has started a few months ago and we know that uh, engagement takes time. So that's why we are giving them three years. What I can perhaps already tell you is that within this this, uh, targeted number of of climate laggards we have identified, we see different levels uh, in terms of quality of responses. So some of the issuers are very open, very interested by our input and support. Some of them are a little less willing to respond. So already what we are doing is, is planning for the annual general meetings next year and looking at ways to escalate already the concern we have with those issuers which, which are less willing to, uh, to progress. And, and we'll continue to report uh, again uh, very uh, transparently on the progress of those engagements. Perhaps just on regulation, definitely I, I agree with you that we are on the right path. There are m- much more regulation on actually the financial sector. So when we look at the European Union, we now have quite, I would say, comprehensive dis- disclosure requirements, which have been introduced by the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which will introduce more comparability uh, at product level at, at, and at entity level, and help clients choose and distinguish from from one product to another. We know that there's also enhanced transparency from corporates, and this is definitely something we need to be able to continue to inform and and make the proper, I would say, investment decision, but also prepare and offer the right level of reporting and disclosure to our clients. And this is progressing. So again, looking at the example from, from the European Union, the taxonomy, which is a regime to actually measure and measure progress of corporates and on financial products with regards to a very precise framework to assess the greenness of economic activity. So it's, it's so working together with policymakers, working together with corporates, working together with our peers to help I would say, shift in the right direction and reach the long-term goals of those new regulation, but also, of course, the long-term goals of the Paris Agreement and this objective of net zero by 2050.
1: So, Clements, it sounds like much stronger regulation, much more intense engagement with companies, and obviously better data will really make a difference in driving the green transition and also achieving net zero plans as well. So, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciated your insights.
2: Thank
1: you, David. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, a podcast series by
0: The Straits Times, hosted by David Fogarty. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read his articles, there are links in the podcast text description below. This episode was brought to you by AXA IM. Thanks for listening.